0: Me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for. Sucker Tash. Yes, Sucker Tash, the comedy soundcast soundcast featuring snippets from comedy. Soundcast. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark. Persia. Mark Persia.
1: Well, howdy, Soundcast aficionados. You must be a fan of Soundcasts if you're dropping in for yet another installment of Suckatash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. Because that's all we do around here is pay homage to Soundcasts. We play clips from them, we talk about them, and sometimes we even talk to the people who are on those soundcasts, like today, but teary me, I am getting ahead of myself. Myself being one Mark Hershon, your every other weekly host of Suckatash, and this is episode 344. We're about five weeks away from hitting our 12-year anniversary of this show. Can you feel the excitement, the electricity in the air? Of course you can. If you'd like to send me and your co-host Tyson Saner a little congratulations or salutations message in the next couple of weeks so we can include it in our 12th anniversary episode, well, we encourage that. The easiest way would probably be to kick out something in your socials to the attention of at Succotash Show. We'll see it, we'll harvest it, and we'll say it. You can also email us at either marc at or tyson at show.com. You can also call into our Succotash and Runaway Truck Ramp Hotline at 818-921-7212 and leave us a voice message. Or, if you're feeling particularly production-y, you can record something and upload it as an MP3 file to Hightail.com slash lowercase u slash Succotash. We'll play or read everything that comes in. Now, we haven't set the actual date in April yet, but as long as your submission reaches us by the beginning of April, it's in. All right, let's get back to the here and now, or rather, the last week and now. Tyson hosted episode 343 and featured a Valentine's Day slate of three soundcast clips, including Life is Short with Justin Long, Cine Nation, and High Low with Emrata. You can still avail yourself of those delectable tidbits wherever you normally get your soundcast from or pop over to our home site, Suckatashow.com, which is also the home for our nearly 12 years of episode archives which now brings us up to present day. And what I have in store for you, which is a guest. It's likely no surprise if you were able to read the title for this week's installment, Succotash Epi 344, with special guest, Josh Gilliland. The soundcaster, an actual practicing attorney, Josh hosts the Legal Geeks soundcast, where he and Jessica Patterson, along with a rotating cast of other legal legals, tackle the important fictional cases of our time. Josh was a guest at one of our rare live shows about 5 years back when Suketesh appeared as part of San Francisco Sketchfest. He's also brother of another friend of the show and past guest Gabriel Deani. In addition, he's a skipper in the Sea Scouts, which is kind of like a boy or girl scouts on the water. We'll talk about all that and the Soundcast and all the other stuff that he's up to in just a moment. The only thing keeping us from hearing my chat with Josh at this moment is this commercial from our friends at Henderson's Pants and their bright and shiny pedestrian pants.
0: Oh, la 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 la. Another innocent pedestrian, another inattentive driver, another senseless death on another crowded city street. Looks like someone wasn't wearing his Henderson's pedestrian pants. The only pants that tell oncoming traffic, please don't hit me. Hello, friends. Bill Haywatt here. And if you're like me, you've probably realized that the simple act of trying to walk from point A to point B in downtown America has become a little like going 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Chances are you're eventually going to get hit. And why wouldn't you? With so many drivers using their valuable time behind the wheel to shave, eat lunch, or check in with their good friends on social media, who in the heck has time to watch where they're going? going anymore. <laughs> Not me. And that's why Henderson has come to the rescue. With pants so iridescently bright, they instantly turn a potentially deadly intersection into a cone zone crosswalk of a discriminating fashion runway. With Henderson's pedestrian pants, even folks who are asleep at the wheel or vying for their city's DUI record will see you coming from blocks away with colors like radioactive isotope green, volcanic pumpkin vomit orange, and bladder infection yellow. But stylish color options are only part of the magic of Henderson's Pedestrian Pants. Built into the protective, heat-resistant lining of these beauties are over 10,000 watts of flexible klieg Light strips that will illuminate your legs like a Broadway marquee. Nothing says, See me coming like a pair of Henderson's Pedestrian Pants. Originally designed for the Rockettes of Radio City Music Hall, Dirt track race car drivers and power walking narcissists with a taste for the bizarre. Henderson's pedestrian pants are available at your local all occasion security bar and wherever used traffic flares are sold. That's Henderson's, makers of potentially life saving outerwear since 1911. And now back to Suckatash. Joining me
1: is Josh Gilloyant, who's been on the show before. Uh, and Moss, you were at uh, a couple of years ago, or no, God, it's been, it's been five years ago at Sketchfest. Fest. Uh, that, that's wild to think about. I know. I know with uh, Matt Weinhold and uh, Mark Pitta and Joe Polino, my producer, that was because that uh, picture just showed up on Facebook a few weeks ago and uh we were all retweeting it or re re sharing it with each other, which was great. Anyway, Josh, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, as, as yourself by yourself,
2: thank you but, for having me. It's so nice to actually see you and catch up.
1: Yes. Uh, I was on Josh's podcast, the legal geeks this past, I don't know, three or four months ago, I guess when, uh, the she Hulk episode five had aired and, uh, you had me on as a, expert witness for trademark <laughs> filings and registrations and whatnot, given my history. Let's talk about your your soundcast, as we call them here on Succotash, for a bit, because I'm still endlessly fascinated with uh, the fact you are a real lawyer practicing real law, and yet your avocation for the, the legal geeks uh, is just... Just something that's just amazingly fascinating to me, and uh, it's uh, just kind of encapsulate exactly sort of what the the essence of uh, of your show is
2: is about. The legal geeks is about using pop culture to explain the law because there are a lot of this should not be a surprise, but young people who read comic books and like Star Wars grow up and become judges (laughs) and and everything in between so we have lots of lawyers who like to blog or or podcast and we will watch the tv show or a movie and discuss the legal issues in it Uh, it's really hard to turn your brain off after you've gone through law school because you start analyzing everything, and it, it's really bad with lawyer shows. So, like, that's painful for me to watch. I, I can't watch lawyer TV shows without needing high blood pressure medicine. <laughs> but whether well, it's one of the Marvel shows or one of the many Star Wars shows or Star Trek, you're able to we're able to talk about legal issues from it. The like one of our San Diego Comic Con panels this past year was about organized crime in Star Wars, and that <laughs> let us talk about animated series and live action, and being able to take a deep dive into different issues. And we had lawyers and and judges, including one judge from the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Wow! Yeah, John that's Owens. A heavy,
1: that's a heavy hitter.
2: Yes. And, you know, grew up loving this stuff. And so we do cover a spectrum. There are judges who have Star Wars toys in their chambers. Like when you spend all day dealing with complex, difficult issues, it's nice to have things that anchor you, that make you happy. Because there are times we deal with lots of stressful things. And that can just take a toll. Sure. But being able to come home and go like, we have Bad Batch starting. And you know, and, and you have middle-aged guys and gals watching a Star Wars animated series to identify legal issues in it. And <laughs> it, it sustains us and it creates a community. because uh, it goes back to like nerd culture. Like I really enjoy the founding of Comic-Con or there's a wonderful documentary about the first Star Trek convention in the Bay Area called Back to Space Con. Mm. And we owe such a debt to those fans in the 70s who kept the lights on okay. when there was kind of the wilderness period that there wasn't a lot of good stuff until Star Wars came out. And sure, you had Silent Running and, and other kind of esoteric Dark, you know, Dark Star, and, and other like hard, you know, deep sci-fi, but a, like we were kind of in the back of the room. Yeah, and they were going to events with people who like similar things. and They had a rip-roaring good time, and we wouldn't be here fifty years later without them. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm very appreciative, and and, That's over, a good that time, point. and over that time, over that time, you know. People have read those comics, whether it was Walt Simonson's run on Thor, and grew up and became lawyers. And like I'm in that category. Uh,
1: so, so one, I one of the, like, is it an offshoot to the, to the sound cast that you guys have done these mock trials? Yes. Yeah. So, Convention. So so give us an example of kind of one of the the mock trials you guys have <laughs> have done. Because you really, I mean, you really get into it. There's costumes and it's really done uh,
2: very, I'll say, l- legitimately. But, we, treat it, we treat it seriously and with yeah. love and respect. So the first one we did was at San Diego Comic Fest, and it was the trial of the Winter Soldier. <laughs> you know, pu- pulling from after Captain America, the Winter Soldier, being able to go, how would you prosecute Bucky Barnes and how would you defend him? And we did it with, we had a federal judge, we had law students, and it was fantastic. And we had psychologists to give expert testimony on whether or not Bucky understood the wrongfulness of his actions. Uh, And like seeing 10-year-olds sit in rapture, listening to a psychologist talk about, like, you know, whether or not he understood what he was doing. You know, there's this wonderful feeling of I've won, I've got <laughs> them to 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 embrace learning. They care. They want to know how the law works. Uh, that was the first we've how done. It, how, how did it come out? Hung jury. Now hung I, jury? Okay. I did. One person was holding out. All the other okay. jurors were on board with you know acquitting, and I didn't realize it at the time, but the gentleman who ended up that. I asked to participate who ended up as the jury foreman like was the just like the administrator of the Kirby estate and yeah I felt pretty silly afterwards and like that dude owned it he was really engaged but um <laughs> we we did one on how to prove the actual innocence of Luke Cage after the Luke Cage series we did one that was a competency hearing for Frankenstein's creature wow uh, uh that was fascinating uh to get into uh and we used the 1931 movie as okay. you know little maria getting tossed in the the leg and and but also the factual background of dr frankenstein keeps the creature in darkness without stimuli it's like he's a newborn that was your plan um, <laughs> not dad of the year So, uh, we did the court martial of Poe Dameron for getting everyone killed in The Last Jedi. Oh, wow, okay, and that was lightning in a bottle Mm. when we did because it was when The Last Jedi was like a hot topic, and we had like standing room only at San Diego Comic Con. You know, we had cosplayers who played Leia and Poe, one of the one of the mothers of one of the lawyers is like an art teacher and big into costumes. So all the lawyers had resistance uniforms. No. So we, <laughs> we did it like a, like a court martial would be done. Nice. And like, so somebody was live tweeting it. So like we were getting lots of action on Twitter including Pablo Hidalgo from Lucasfilm and Ryan yeah. Johnson. And, yeah. uh, uh, oscar isaac did an interview sometime later and talked about us saying nice things oh so that was that's the high water mark nice uh but one of my favorites was the well we did the um stormtroopers suing for defective body armor (laughs) (laughs) that that was the most legally complex but fun uh and this past summer we did. the jaws mock trial you okay. know the lawsuit the lawsuit yes. against the town specifically <laughs> for alex kitner's death <laughs> and uh super fun like we we treated it all seriously
1: well you have to
2: we yeah it's like we treat it seriously but we all did it like it was 1976 so like oh, we nice. all got we all got 70s glows to <laughs> to look the part of it was 1976. So you was, guys are having way
1: too much fun with this stuff. Way too much fun for lawyers. Yeah. I mean for lawyers.
2: I mean we do have a reputation of like having had our fun removed and <laughs> um, you know, contrary to popular belief, we don't exchange jokes in Latin. We <laughs> you know, it's it's just we don't but like that's not how we roll and like every human being needs a creative outlet. Every everyone wants a sense of community.
0: Yeah,
2: That's nice to have that yeah. when we do Comic Con panels.
1: Well, so we don't leave them out. Why don't you mention some of the folks involved in the in your sound cast? Because you've got a a co-host.
2: Yeah. So Jessica Meterson and I and uh, started the Legal Geeks back in July of 2012. So we just had our 10th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we have you know, quite the firm now, in, in quotes, <laughs> with with lots of lawyers who come from different backgrounds. I know I'm going to forget someone, but you know they include uh, like a really good friend from law school named Michael Dennis. He and his wife practice in um Modesto California Mm -hmm. uh we have a lawyer in Pennsylvania named uh Thomas Harper who's uh Army JAG officer now with the International Red Cross so he does webinars talking about you know uh uh, you know law of war and using pop culture so he's actually got a job doing what we do for fun Mm -hmm. uh there's a an assistant U.S. attorney down in San Diego uh, named Steve Chu, who's who's a very close friend. Like, we met in, in organizing one of our uh, law school student mock trials, and it was right after Rogue One came out, and I said, you know, I really, and like we had just met, I said, I really, really want to make a, you know, costume for one of the rebel fleet troopers, you know, the, the black vest and the helmet. Yeah. And from his pocket, he pulled out a rebel fleet trooper. And I thought, did, did we just become best friends? Like, what's, what are they? <laughs> okay. That that's in the display case behind me. Now. Oh, but that's yeah. funny. His wife, Kathy, who is uh, with the San Diego City Attorney's Office. Uh, uh, amazing attorney. I mean, like, she's, she's uh, brilliant and hi- highly effective. Uh, we have a uh, professor at Hastings, uh, Stephen Tullifield, uh, who went to law school with uh, Kathy and Steve. Uh, he's fantastic. Uh, we have Gabby Martin, uh, who's just moved to Boston. She uh, uh, was in Connecticut. Um, there, I know I'm forgetting people, but you know, there's, then there are the well, judges. That's, that's yeah. quite a, quite a
1: uh, uh, roster of uh, yeah. of legal minds.
2: And people have different areas of focus. You yeah. know, so You know, you get the folks who like might love Star Wars the most, or they might love Marvel the most, or might like Star Trek more. And you know, contrary to popular belief, it's not Star Wars or Star Trek. The you know the people can be fans of both. Sure. And a lot of us, a lot of us are. Uh, so yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice mix, and and really good friends. It's just, it's a nice sense of community.
1: Well, let's step back a, a little bit from uh, sort of in, in in time to before 2012 when you started the the Soundcast. What uh, what were you doing, and what sort of led up to this to the to the brainstorm uh,
2: to do to do a show about it? Genesis. So, <laughs> uh, my career as an attorney's been interesting because i I graduated 2001 so while waiting for bar results september 11th happened and and an illegal recession kicked in prior to bar results coming out so i was waiting to find out if i passed the bar while a hundred year old law firms were dying like that was a very terrifying time to start my career yeah so like Rough launch. <laughs> uh, after doing lots of, you know, worked at a firm for a while and did contract work, I learned uh, e discovery software. You know, all lawsuits have data now. Unless you have someone who's living in 1985, they're going to have an email account. They're yeah. going to, so there's software for collecting that information and reviewing that information. And I got good using one of those programs and went to go work for one of those companies in 2006. While there I started doing lots of presentations. I did 80 in a year, uh, traveling the country. I I went to 37 states and started doing lots of webinars. And I got good at that sort of thing. I then launched a blog called Bowtie Law where I focus on legal issues with electronic discovery. So that's blog one. It also makes me super easy to shop for at Christmas time and birthdays. <laughs> the, the bow tie thing, sure. Yeah, just I have how like many 80. bow ties do you suppose you have at this point? Around eighty. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, go there, and uh, you know I'm I've been blogging for a couple years at this point, and I'm getting interested in the idea of like, how do I do something with pop culture? And I always had a wit with a lot of those blog posts on, on bow law. And there was a judge in DC that did an opinion where he referenced himself being, you know, it's, it's high noon and I'm, I'm Gary Cooper. So I did a post about that opinion with a whole bunch of cowboy references. Okay. And you know, classics, including blazing saddles, because I'm a (laughs) man of culture. And uh Jessica retweeted that and we started messaging back and forth. And I I raised the idea, hey, why don't we do a podcast and blog together and we can alternate and you know, let's give that a try. She's you know realized, oh, you actually are serious. We started and it was just part of that creative outlook because again, Star Wars kid, Star Trek kid, yeah, co- boxes of comics. And um, while doing the blog, like, I started collecting action figures again for blog posts. So I have a light box. I set up cameras and, and take pictures and then edit because I, I, I'm uncomfortable with sh- screenshots. Hmm. Even though there's a really good fair use argument and some TV shows will put out images for people to use. It just makes me a little uncomfortable. So I will set up, you know, I'll get action (laughs) figures for a particular show because they have schedules that can work with me and, uh, you know, take pictures and then edit and, and then post and uh, I I have model friends that I've done that with t-shirts, but you know like that's just then you're trying to work with another human being's schedule, and that can be hard
1: um but as have I you, started have you done any of your uh, your action figure I'll call them uh, tableaus, perhaps in terms of setting up your shots, but have you tr- have you taken the shots and tried to feed them through an AI graphic no. program
2: No. No, I won't. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I will do it myself. Um, interesting. Okay. Uh, I kind of feel strongly that way.
1: Jury's still out on the AI thing. <laughs>
2: uh, mixed feelings, you know. There's, whenever new tech comes along, there are those who overly embrace it and make over the top predictions, and then those who ignore it. So, a couple examples uh you know thomas edison took the position that when like movies started coming out that libraries would cease to exist it's oh. like mm, we still got <laughs> books dude yeah. um uh, you know as opposed to those who go like who would want a tv set in their house like which is like others who would just like completely miss the boat yeah on it's like you know going for the i'm going to dig in because i just want to ride my horse to work i will send telegrams like you know you get folks like that and you know like what normally pans out is something in the middle Hmm. that we have documentaries you get books on tape or recordings but people still want to have a book and read it yeah Uh, and there are those who are comfortable reading it on a tablet of some kind but books aren't going away um yeah I, if i remember right there's a socrates quote about against written language saying it would make people feeble in the mind it's like we wouldn't know about socrates without books and somebody <laughs> writing down he existed yeah so i
1: i so, love the pe- the people who claim absolutes about anything there was a there was a guy who was the um uh, I forget what his actual position was, but he was in charge of the trademark office in 1929, the patent and trademark Ooh. office. And he proclaimed that it would soon close because there were no more trademarks to be made. They thought everyone thought of every name that could ever exist for a product in, in 1929.
2: Good call. Yeah, Good call. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just don't, do that like there's always going to be somebody smarter always somebody will come up with something new or is spin on something that's existed for a long time Uh, you know like remember you know over a decade ago like mocking netflix's subscription model for sending dvds through the mail and and it's like oh it's going to go out of business it didn't it changed and like always respect the fact that there can be change and in innovation. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, sort of going back a little further now, uh, getting back to sort of where I, I met you in passing, but I met your, your brother Gabriel Diani <laughs> who's been a guest on this show before. And at a point in time uh, the two of you were associated uh, through uh your mother's ownership of rooster tea feathers a yes comedy club in sunnyvale california uh yes. which is uh is still in operation today uh just actually just reopened following covid and in a, a massive remodel apparently according to current owner uh, heather barbieri but uh back in the day uh uh gabe was uh part of a sketch comedy group uh out of San Francisco state and uh for some reason I'm not exactly sure one of well I do know why exactly I know exactly why uh one, one of his castmates uh um was in our in my house improv group uh at Cobb's comedy club okay Cole Stratton good dude and Cole was also in Totally False People the schedule that your brother was in and uh, your mother was kind enough to book us one week a month for, I think a year. And they would open for the improv group and it was phenomenal. I'd never heard of an improv group getting to headline that much anywhere. Uh, But you grew up uh, at least part of that time in that environment, in that comedy club environment. And I have to believe that that helped to infuse some of your performance desire.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've always been a ham. So I've always, I have, have enjoyed that. And I mean, there, there are a few things to impact. First, my mother was a saint and I miss her greatly. Uh, few human beings go, Hey, my kid wants to do comedy so i'll buy a comedy comedy, club. comedy. <laughs> exactly that was my mom and that's how we met matt weinhold and yep. a whole bunch of other wonderful people uh from that time period um that happened while i was in college okay. uh, freshman freshman in college and uh i i do miss roosters and i i do need to go back i I was making a, trying to do an annual pilgrimage. Mm. Uh, um, but it is kind of like visiting the place you grew up and your family no longer lives there. So there, there is that feel yeah. to it. But uh, deep respect and love for live comedy. And uh, great, great love for my mother. However, you know, if you look at old pictures of Maine, no, I, I did have the Gilliland half the family of carrying a camera with me. Mm. That That's a trend that I think came from my paternal grandfather because he uh. had lots of great photos from his adventures. And then I had a cousin who made surfing movies um, who was world famous in, in that regard. Oh, wow. And, uh, Sonny Miller. And uh, also miss him. And, you know, I'm definitely a, a fusion of all the influences from different family and uh, opportunities uh, over, over my life uh, that that have made me what I am.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I had mentioned before we started recording, I actually texted Gabe to give me a, a couple of tidbits to ask you about. And he said, your grandfather actually worked on Amelia Earhart's crew.
2: He was in charge of the fuel system. So in the eighties, papa uh was interviewed for a couple books and did some Mm. panels i think that i think it's ae the final story is one of them i'm not sure what the other it was um so his his name first name was harold okay And he hated that name (laughs) so he went by gill oh okay highlighting irony or just strangeness maternal grandmother was named Velma <laughs> hated that name her maiden name was putt breeze so she was called putt and she also liked to golf so <laughs> i had two grandparents that hated their given name and went with nicknames based upon their last name funny so but papa I mean, he was in charge of nighttime B-17 production at Burbank. He uh, was in, uh, on the Poseidon and uh, uh, Polaris missile program for a decade, uh, perfected the guidance system. So you know, when you think of the Cold War, it, it's not just like those who served. You had those in, in the defense industry that were like quasi-military making the systems that preserve peace so we didn't end up radioactive slag and we <laughs> yeah. had a huge role in that and you know peace through deterrence wow so yeah but yeah gabe's right uh yeah he had a private line at the house because howard hughes liked to call it on hours what Yeah, my grandmother hated Hughes because (laughs) he would call at 2 a.m. or like you know, Christmas Day during dinner, like he was again an odd man. Um, and what would he call about? Do you know? I don't. So, my grandfather was quite tight lipped and never talked about it. Mm. I learned that from my dad. Oh, and I was like, you know, kind of buried the lid. You waited for me to be in my 40s before you mentioned that. Like, that was a uh, so there was that, uh, yeah, he was a fascinating human being, you know, just born in 1912 of that generation that came up with aviation. Yeah. Helped, helped save the world from fascism and then did his part against communism. And, uh, at the time when, during Burbank, his, um, Sister-in-law. So my granddad Mm -hmm. was Walt Disney's personal secretary. Really? Yes. Wow. And um Disney Studios and Lockheed and Burbank were kind of close to each other. So he would take the engineers from the skunk works over to have lunch with the animators. (laughs) Because they were also good at keeping secret. So you've
1: got like primordial geek culture in your DNA.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's.
1: <laughs> it's kind you know, of weird. I mean, if you think of those things sort of combining and fusing and mixing together.
2: Oh, it's just love of airplanes, boats, you know, just. uh And again, I was. Almost three when Star Wars came out. Uh Gabe was born a week afterwards. Oh, wow. OK. And but I remember. Yeah, because I was on the theaters for a year. Sure. Uh, my mother took me to Empire opening weekend when I was five.
1: Gabe <laughs> said ask him about going to see Empire Strikes Back but didn't, didn't go any deeper than that so now you're getting us there so good.
2: <laughs> so a lot of the Century theaters in San Jose which were you know, the big dome ones. Oh yeah. And so it was before my mom went off to paramedic school. Okay, And, and I had just survived spinal meningitis like the months mm. before. So, and my parents just got divorced. So it was like a very country Western horrible period. And so we're in the parking lot sitting on a blanket as cars were going up around everyone and like the massive line. And I remember getting into the theater and I, there was licorice and popcorn and a soda and, as my mother described it, my feet went to the end of the seat. <laughs> and, like it was just my little willpower to you know make sure it didn't close up on me. Adorable. She said, as soon as the movie started, I didn't move or blink for the entire runtime of the movie. <laughs> it's one of the happiest memories of my childhood you know, with an adventure with my mother. Uh, when I think of her, I, you know, I actually heavily associate Star Wars with her. Interesting. And uh, I'm grateful that their parents today able to have those type of experiences with their kids.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. I took my, this was a while ago now, but I took my then three-year-old granddaughter to see, they had a. Uh, Release Special release This is not Star Wars related by the way They had a special release of Wizard of Oz They had rendered it in 3D Oh my And she was 3 years old I took her and her mother To see it in San Francisco This was 10 years ago And uh, They had a child seat for her to sit in Because she was 3 But she'd watched all these scenes On YouTube Of Wizard of Oz, so she loved the movie, she loved the music, but she'd never seen the entire thing together. And so she's sitting there with her little child-sized 3D glasses on, and she was just like you; she did not move a muscle the entire time, just fascinated. This is really kind of her first movie theater experience, and she's seeing Wizard of Oz in 3D. That's
2: glorious, you know. Like I've never seen it in the theater because. It was just on annually, and it's amazing the experiences families can have, uh, or whether it's friends, but again, generally that's the sort of family moment that's etched into memory in a very positive way that helps define lifetimes, and it's just, it's wonderful to see that.
1: My empire strikes back experience was a little different because I'm a bit older than you. Mm -hmm. I had, first of all, I saw star, star Wars in the theater, 12 times. God bless you. (laughs) And I remember I had gotten, I was working at, uh, at uh, KSFO radio at the time. I was, uh, I was um, an assistant in the newsroom and uh, I was producing uh, the morning show with Gene Nelson. Awesome. And, uh, we got this, this slick press thing. It was like a 12 page document about this movie coming out, star Wars. And there were just some stills, some set stills. And I was always been a huge sci-fi fan. And I remember Bob Wilkins on creature feature playing the first trailer, which was just the space explosion. And that was it. Just the space explosion in the title Star Wars. And I got so excited. And then this thing showed up and I just took it. It was, it showed up at the station. And there was a picture of like, a uh, one of the pictures I remember distinctly was a stormtrooper in the desert with a dewback behind him in the shot. And I'm going, what is this? We've never seen anything like this at all. So I saw it. Tw- and then the empire strikes back. I saw it, of course, as I do most blockbuster movies, even today, Uh, The night before it officially opens, you know, you can go Thursday night and not have to wait till Friday. And I went and saw the first showing and I went the next night. I'm going to go see it again. And I was at a theater in in Marin County and some dude drives by and people lined up around the theater goes, Darth
2: Vader is Luke's dad.
1: No, no. Like, no. Yes. Yes, if you can imagine, the the movie had just officially opened.
2: Such a horrible person. Yes. I remember that moment, the shrieks of terror in the theater. It was the perfect surprise. Just that groundswell of raw motion. Yeah. And the fact that Lucasfilm has been able to pull it off a couple more times with Grogu, Baby Yoda. Yeah, and then with Luke at the end of Mando season two, like you know the the reaction videos of people watching it for the first time losing their minds. Oh yeah, it's like they kept the surprise. Yes, that's so hard to do. It is
1: so hard to do, and uh, amazed they can anybody can pull it off in this day and age. It
2: the, the the fact that there are those who do, and the reaction actions that people have you know just the joy the wonder the again mandalorian season one end of the first episode and you see the little ears it's like whoa they're going there yeah and they kept that height no one saw it coming well done like you you got the surprise yeah Uh, and again then then luke rock on it's just you know, gen x dreams coming true it's just you know gold star uh, <laughs> end of the breakfast club on the on the field so yeah it's just like yes so nice
1: nice um you've got another interest that fascinates me which is the sea scouts yes um, so- I'm, I'm constantly seeing your posts about it i don't know that much about sea scouts but one of the places that you've been setting up um are they you call them packs i don't know what you refer to groups of sea scouts as but uh is half moon bay which is yes. uh which i'm very familiar with because i do the cartoons for the half moon bay review my wife is the publisher of that newspaper and uh so when i saw you were you were getting a a, a crew what do you what do you call them? i don't know but you're getting a group together in that area. I was fascinated by that. So tell me a little bit about sea scouts. What, what ex- exactly is it?
2: So I'm in charge of marketing sea scouts nationally. So thank you for the question. I, I grew up in sea scouts. I joined in 1991 and it, it phenomenally helped me because uh, I was a freshman in high school the year before I had I had just survived uh, uh, two near death calls mm. with Crohn's disease. Oh. And I was really high strung and and broken from a very traumatic experience from nearly having two horrible deaths. And Sea Scouts was a place where I could excel, where there were adult volunteers who cared about providing a safe opportunity for young people to learn how to boat, to have friends, to go on adventures, to dream beyond the horizon. And I, I grew up on the Griffin in Redwood City. Mm. Uh, I earned the highest rank called quartermaster. So if you think Eagle Scout, quartermaster's the Sea Scout equivalent oh. for, okay. for the top rank. I earned it while I was still in high school. And uh, that was, it was a great adventure. Uh, I believe in uh, one of my first volunteers, his, his name was Don Blum. He he just passed away. He was 96. And he uh, offered what he called the blood bank theory. When you're a kid, you take from the blood bank. As an adult, you give back. Because you you want others to have those experiences. So, I wanted to start more Sea Scout ships. Because we have to grow. And places where we don't have Sea Scout ships... So I thought it'd be, you know, again, having low goals. I thought it'd be a good idea to try starting one in Foster City and then one in Half Moon Bay because we hadn't had Sea Scouts in either of those locations. Mm. Uh, I thought it'd be good to have one on each side of 92 yeah. so, because that way, you know, families don't have to go far. We In scouting, we believe that it, you should be like 10 minutes away from from where you can drop your kids off or stay and volunteer and be there for mm-hmm. your your child because we have lots of parent, parents who volunteer as well so we started Foster City caught fire first and I actually went from the committee chair to skipper with our recharter so I'm now the skipper of that ship oh. so thanks think scoutmaster i've never been a skipper before i've been a commodore and i'm on our national committee but uh, this is this is going to be fun and in half moon bay you and your wife helped light that spark oh, with nice. getting an article out in the half moon bay review that got a person who's now the skipper of that ship oh nice that's fantastic so the Half Moon Bay Yacht Club is the charter partner. The parent has a a youth her her daughter joined the ship in San Francisco during COVID. And, oh, okay. and she took the position that no parent should have to drive to San Francisco from if they live on the coast yeah. it's just it's a long drive. Plus you're right by so, the water anyway. Yeah, and in 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 my Again, according to Don, we had never had a ship in in Half Moon Bay. There was one for a hot minute in Pacifica, but like they never, you know, it was 1999. They just, they didn't do the things they needed to do to last. The Yacht Club is so on board. We got great volunteers. We got parents who were engaged. Uh, I joined the Yacht Club so that way I could help and no we don't wear ascots like that's not that's not there's no I've, I,
1: I've been to the happen bay yacht club that is not an ascot place
2: no no it's like we're <laughs> jeans and you know fleece jacket to stay warm and like let's go out and vote <laughs> and and everyone's wonderful and young everyone needs hope everyone needs a community sea scouts is a place for young people to go and they can kayak they can stand up paddleboard they can learn how a a motorboat works um and it can you know turn on the type of adults that you have like if you have a bunch of people who know how to do scuba diving yeah it's gonna be a scuba diving focus like if you have a bunch of people who know how to do sailing they're gonna sail uh that said the yacht club has people who are Like have a little bit of everything so like that that ship is just going to have such rich opportunities Um, we're going to do a training there uh, that's a a leadership course to help give the youth uh, tools for planning and communicating Uh, it's an introduction to leadership skill and the the other purpose is to help give the parents who are volunteering an idea of like how a healthy sea scout ship is supposed to run and like, that's what we do. We're there to provide hope and opportunities so young people don't have to just, like, be home alone, that they can go to a place where there are others who care about them and they can have friends. Like, I, some of my closest friends were the guys I grew up with on the Griffin. And I just I want to be sure that there's a future and that the, the youth of today in 2023 have a safe place where they can go and go kayaking and then grill burgers afterwards. That's like I great. Want it just easy. That's
1: great. Anything I haven't asked you about that uh, you think the Succotash audience would uh, be interested in, in hearing about either you or your show or.
2: You can expect to see us at some upcoming conventions. So we can post when schedules go live So right now I can just say that we are planning to be some places in 23 uh, and, and, and check us out for more that. If you want to learn more about Sea scouts, you can visit cscout.org. If you want to learn more about the blogging that I do and sound casting with, with friends, you can check out the legal geeks.com. We're also on, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, many other fine podcast players. And, you know, if you, you know, need legal help don't be afraid like there are so many folks like if they have a legal problem they'll just post on social media it's like you can look on your bar assist local bar association website they have lawyer referral services it's like if you've been if you need help go go ask like people don't seek out lawyers because they need someone for the bowling team. <laughs> it's usually because something bad happened. And if something bad's happened, go, go find someone to help you like that. That's the most important thing. Don't suffer in silence. Go find someone to help you. That's great. So.
1: That's great. I will have uh, appropriate links on uh, the blog piece that app- will go with this episode. Fantastic.
0: And now, here's your host.
1: Thanks to Josh Gilliland for dropping by. You can hear a lot more of him over at the Legal Geek Soundcast. You can also read a lot more uh, on his blog, Bowtie Law. You'll find links to all Josh's rich legal goodness at our show blog at SuckatashShow.com. We're running kind of long this week, so we will dispense with our usual Tweet Sack segment today. Sorry, Tweety. Instead, I'll just remind you that Tyson Sainer will be back in this very same Soundcast feed next week with episode 345. And until then, if someone you know is itching to find something new to listen to, and a few choice samples might help them find their way, won't you please pass the succotash?
0: You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, with your host, Mark or or Sean. Sean. brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, and wherever fine find soundcasts, soundcasts are streamed and, and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Suckatash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash slash Suck-a-tash. suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio Peace Ocelito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Dirges. Suckatash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye.